0: Get your business together. Get yourself into what you do and see it through. Because being boss is hard. Blending work and life is messy. Making a dream job of your own isn't easy. But getting paid for
1: it, becoming known for it, and finding purpose in it is so doable
0: if you do the work. Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs from Emily Thompson and Kathleen Shannon. Welcome to episode 15 with our guest, Paul Jarvis. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting.
2: Hey, hey, hey.
1: Hey, Paul. Thanks for joining us. So we have a couple of announcements, Then I'm going to introduce you. Emily, can you tackle those announcements?
0: Yes, I certainly will. So first of all, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, um, and we're going to have that in the show notes at lovebeingboss.com. We um, are having some technical difficulties, so we did not get the Hey Sweet Pea episode up on YouTube, but we're figuring it out, and... All willing, <laughs> this one will be. Um, so if you enjoy the YouTube videos, uh, we'll keep trying to work it out so that you can see us in action very, very soon. Um, also, we have our newsletter. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter list at lovebeingboss.com so you can get our secret episode on cultivating confidence, which will be available only to our newsletter list. Uh, we also send out weekly updates whenever new podcasts are being released. Um, and we're editing up that that new one now and we will be sharing the secret episode soon. So com, get on it. So you guys, today we are so excited to be chatting with Paul
1: Jarvis. If you don't already know Paul, you are in for a treat. And if you do know Paul, then you already know that you know that you're in for a treat. Um, <laughs> Hooray. Paul? Yeah right. Paul Jarvis is a web designer who has worked with big deals like Marie Forleo, The Highline in New York, Mercedes-Benz. He's been a best-selling author, and his books include Be Awesome at Online Business, which I just read while I was on a business trip, Um, The Good Creative, and he's even written a vegan cookbook. I best know Paul from his newsletter called The Sunday Dispatch, which I've been subscribing to for maybe a year or two, and I love it. Um, and Paul also has a podcast called Invisible Office Hours that he co-hosts with, um, oh shit, Paul, what's your co-host's name?
2: Jason Zook. It, his name changes all the time because he sells his last name, but that's right now right.
1: it is Jason
2: Zook. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. So it's not no longer Surfer App.
2: No, that, that, that that's done with now. <laughs> that's so funny.
1: Okay. So anyway, I'm a big fan of your podcast and I've been Thanks. listening to it and it's so funny because- um, having you on this show, I kind of just want to talk about like, oh, Hey, let's talk about your episode on death. Can we, can we chat about that? You know, and that always happens to, I think me and Emily and real life, <laughs> our friends know. are like, Hey, that thing you said on your podcast, let's talk about it. And <laughs> I never even remember what I said. <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: know. I know. I, I don't know. I listen to, I re listen to them sometimes. Like, like, because someone mentioned something, I'm like, did I say that? Like, I don't remember ever saying these things.
2: I'm the same exactly. with the books that I write. People are like, oh, remember in this book you wrote this chapter on this? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I did write about that at some point.
0: Perfect. I'm glad that's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So, Paul, let's get into this. Like, I want to hear your story of how you started down this path and of being your own boss and where you are today. Just give us like the rundown.
2: So, this, I have been my own boss for a very long time. So, in the like mid-90s, I was the creative director at an agency for a short time, and they poached me right out of school. So, I was working there. I didn't like working there, because I didn't like the way that they were dealing with their clients. I'm like, if I was running the show, I would treat my clients so much better than these people. And my boss was also a cokehead, which doesn't really help. It's really hard to work with those kind of people. So... But so I quit, and I was like, I'd had enough, and I was like, okay, there's got to be a better agency to work at. There's got to be somewhere that's like treating their clients nicely, doing good things, and then I can kind of like line up my values with. So I quit, and I was gonna go to the library the next day to figure out how to write a resume because I hadn't written a resume at this point because they had poached me at a university because the internet really wasn't. This was like '96 or '97 or something. Like this was like I couldn't Google resumes, or maybe I could have. I don't know. But I was gonna go to the library, but then. I kept getting calls from the client saying, like, hey, Paul, where are you going to go work next? Because we just want to bring our business with you because we knew you were doing all the work because the people that ran the agency were idiots. And after, like, the third or fourth call, I was like, maybe I should just work for myself. So I didn't actually plan, and that's what I did. So the next day, I figured out how to get, like, a business license and get like a sole proprietorship, that's what it's called in Canada, maybe the same in the States, I don't have any idea, yeah. but yeah, so I started that way, and then I started working with like four or five clients, like the third day, pretty much, so I didn't really want to work for myself, I was going to go find another job, but then it kind of worked out that way, and that was like, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago, so it kind of stuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, nice, yeah. That is, that's fantastic, good for you. <laughs> Way to be better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's good whenever
1: you kind of fall into it. So, okay. So he, here's one of my biggest questions. And this is a selfish question. Like this is for me. This is not for our listeners. <laughs> so like you're super prolific. You're writing books, you're creating digital products. You are writing a really awesome newsletter every Sunday. Do you do any additional writing other than the newsletter?
2: Yeah, I write for a bunch of publications, although I'm scaling that back and moving more into the syndication model instead of guest writing, because I find now that where I'm at with building my audience in that, it's just better for me to share with the people that are, on my list are already paying attention than to write for other magazines and publications. So I'm scaling, right now, I probably have to do about four or five articles this month and then maybe one or two next month, and then that should hopefully be it, but Yeah. So I typically for the last year or so, I was doing four articles for a month for my list and then four or five articles or more for other people and then a couple other things as well as writing books and writing courses and all of that. So
1: Right. And you've got the podcast. Okay. But then also you do client work. So I'm kind of curious, like uh, this might be too nosy too fast, but like whenever it comes to the money that you're making, like what is your bread and butter? Also, like what is your daily and weekly routine like, or what kind of work systems do you have in place that you are able to be so prolific?
2: Remember all of the parts of those questions. I'll answer the first one. I will, I forget <laughs> I will all remember the other... them. <laughs> I will remember so them. So I started with the money thing. I started, when I started writing books, I think three years ago, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to kind of separate it. So I keep every single one of my income streams completely separate so design is separate from books, is separate from courses, is separate from consulting, is separate from the one-off products that I do. And in doing that, I can see, okay, books are making a lot more money, so I can scale back the client work, or my products aren't selling as well as they were the last month, so I'll take on another couple of jobs. So I can kind of balance it out. Right now, my course, the creative class, makes the bulk of my income, Which I was surprised at. Like, I know the course is good, and I know it's useful, but I wasn't expecting it to sell as well as it has. So it's yeah, that's made up the bulk of that's probably at about sixty percent of my income. Whereas all my other products, books don't make that much money, especially when I have them on Amazon for like seven bucks or something or. 10 or 15 on my site because you get extras and audio and that so but the course is worth a lot more money so it that seems to be bringing in quite a bit of money which i was surprised by but i'm i'm pleased
1: awesome my sister is my business partner and she ran the books on like all of our income streams because they're all Mm printed out and she was like so our e-course makes about 10 percent of our income which is like Good and it's still a good chunk of money, but I was yeah. like, oh, because I feel like I spend so much time promoting and marketing. And I think that's like a myth that people think that uh, they usually call it passive income because you create it once, but nothing about it is passive. So I kind of want to um, ask you about that like the amount of time, too, also like promoting those things. But going back to the original question, (laughs) sorry, Kathleen gets really into it. We
2: need some like math logic and pie charts like this. I know, I know. And And
1: I was listening to um, Alec Baldwin's (laughs) podcast. Have you listened to it? I think it's called This is the Thing. We'll include it in our show notes and I will have the right name in the show notes. But he's such an amazing interviewer. He has uh, such an awesome voice. I mean, it's Alec Baldwin. Anyway, it makes me feel like a spaz with a terrible voice. Yeah, I'm.
0: I'm actually not gonna let you drink coffee again before entering. I know. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Okay,
1: so what is your daily and weekly routine like? In that you can be so prolific.
2: So I don't really have one. I kind of know what needs to happen on a weekly basis. And then I kind of break it up. And I like to, ch- I find I get more done if I chunk things together. Like if I have to write four articles, I can get four articles done faster. If I write them all at the same time, then write one. And then like two days later, write another. I feel like, same with design. If I'm, if I like to start projects all around the same time, because if I'm in design for one person, then my mind is kind of going like design. I have a really hard time shifting gears between all the different things I do. So the more that I can chunk things together, and this doesn't work for everybody, this is just kind of what works for me, and I guess people weird like me, but (laughs) it just seems to, once I can get into the flow of doing one thing, I can keep doing that thing. So I kind of break it up into, like, I have writing days, or today is like a talking on Skype day for me, because I find, like, if I'm doing calls and I've scheduled meetings and stuff, it's hard for me to work, like... The hour before or the hour after, I kind of know that something's coming, so it's hard to get into it. So I kind of break it up like that. So today, I'm on the phone all day. Yesterday, I was writing all the day. all day. The day before, I was probably doing code or something like that. So I like to chunk it up and kind of figure it out like, okay, this is what I need to do for the week. This day, I'm doing this. This day, I'm doing this. Or even half days kind of thing.
0: I like that. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I found that like evolution of work day for me, like I used to like want to go in and do like all the little pieces of what I do like all day long And morning is email and then I have meetings and then I try to design or code. It sucks <laughs> or like, or at least the evolution of like my daily to do, mm-hmm. it used to work for me but it does not work for me anymore. I think that chunking it up like that, half days are what I'm currently doing. Um, it seems to work a little better than the usual like daily routine. So high five, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, do you have any employees?
2: No, I don't. I work with a couple awesome freelancers. Like I have my editor, Sherry Hansen, who is smarter than I am and the reason why all my books and products sound as good as they do. I have my copy editor, Ashley Bright, who copy edits all of my dispatches and articles. A couple illustrators that I work with, a couple programmers that I work with when I need um, my own products. For my clients, I do all the coding, but for my own stuff, I get into this weird like automation shit with a lot of the stuff that I do. So I need to like, do all these weird API calls. So I hire somebody else for that. But yeah, it's just a couple freelance. And then I have like, an accountant bookkeeper as well. But I only really deal with him once a year when I give him my digital shoebox. and And apologize for being awful.
0: <laughs> I think everyone's dealing with that right now. Yeah, and we're all apologizing. I think everyone.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I know what I'm good at. I'm not. I'm good at making money. I'm not good at organizing that money afterwards for the government because I just don't care. So, if I could pay somebody else to do that, <laughs> that's the best <laughs> thing ever.
0: All right. Yeah. Oh, go Kathleen. Oh, I've go. got another
1: question. I've got another question. Okay, because you were so busy and making so much stuff. Um, a lot of the creatives that Emily and I work with are terrified that they're going to like set their foot down the wrong path and get so far down this scary dark foresty path with like little like wolverines coming out and attacking them. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, how I guess the question is like how do you decide what to say yes to and what you say no to? Um, Before you get down that path,
2: in terms of other people's requests, I say no to everything at first, at least. So even if somebody like if somebody Mm -hmm. wants to hire me for web design, I say no. If somebody wants to do an interview, I say no. I didn't say no to you because I I like your stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I said yes. But typically, I think people get pulled in too many directions, and people get overwhelmed because they have so much shit on their plates. It's because people say yes to everything. Like, I'm okay to say no to pretty much everything. And then for the client work that I do, if somebody... I typically recommend doing something a different way if it makes sense for them. Or I say, like, I can work with them later. So it's a no, but it's deferred. And then once we get talking, then we figure out a way to work together. But I find that it's just, like, I know what I need to do. And I have so much stuff on the go that it's really hard for me to take on more things. Like I turn down everybody that wants a guest article from me, I just say no to it doesn't matter who it is or what the publication is. I just I don't have time for that. So I just say no for my own stuff. I do kind of like forgetting down. and I write about I write about like the path analogy. So I'm glad you brought it up in those terms because it's see that I can wrap my brain around that. I find that, like, I still don't really know what I'm doing. I, like, I do what I do, and I've done this for a really long time, but I still worry about, like, doing things the right way. So I find that I like to do small, like, I like to take a step and evaluate and then iterate and then take another steps and evaluate, iterate, test the idea. So I'm not, like, all the way down some path, and there's, like, all these little wolverines all over the place, which I think <laughs> would probably be pretty cute. They may be mean and vicious animals, but when I think of Wolverines, I'm like, oh, they'd be kind of like my rats, but like bigger.
1: But bigger, like the Game of Thrones, like dogs. Do you watch Game of Thrones?
2: Culture, I don't watch TV. Cultural references are just... like
1: All right, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. So that's how you get shit done is that you're not watching TV, basically. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I say, uh, yeah, I say no to all that kind of stuff as well. Like I don't... Yeah, there's a lot of hours in a day. It's just a matter of prioritizing how you spend those hours.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about really quickly, like, the mindset that you have around it being so okay with saying no to people. Because something that that we we find a lot with, like, especially with the Being Boss community and the questions that we get... um, And because this is something that Kathleen and I need to work on (laughs) is being able to say no to people, both like I think in our personal businesses, um, but also in like in the community that we're building around being boss because we love it. Um, But being boss is our side hustle and just all that jazz. So let's talk about sort of the mindset that you have around being so okay with telling people no, because that freaks a lot of people out.
2: Yeah, Yeah,
1: there's like the fear of missing out and all of that, like
0: you just not have that fear what's different in your head <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't a lot for this
0: specifically <laughs> that was an open question specifically <laughs> exactly. around saying no <laughs> so i guess like i still have
2: those fears like i still fear like okay well if i said no to that publication maybe that could have done like a hundred sales for my course or could have got like another 600 people on my mailing list or something like that. But then that doesn't like, those aren't really my goals. Like my goals are to be valuable to the community that I serve. So, and I already talked to those people. They're already clients of mine. They're already on my mailing list. They've already bought the products that I have. And yes, I want to grow that, but that's always a secondary goal to me. It's serving the audience that I have. That's the primary goal. So I don't need all of these other things like they're kind of good to have and they're bonuses but I say no to them because I don't really like I it, it doesn't serve me as much as it may serve them and I find that a lot of times we think everything is going to be so much more of a big deal than it actually is like I get so many people that pitch me to be on their podcast like oh I have 100,000 listeners and stuff and then I'll do the podcast and then I'll sell like zero anything and like nobody will sign up for my mailing list because I track all that through like UTM source tags and stuff like that. So I find, or even like writing for big publications, like, oh, so-and-so wants to write and they have like all millions of readers and you look at their Twitter following, they're like 1.4 million readers. Then I write an article for them, then they tweet it and then it gets like a thousand reads or something like that, which is good, but it's not like I can get more on my own website. So I think a lot of times all of these opportunities, because they're in the future, it's like, We think that they're going to be the best thing or, like, the biggest thing. And we think it's going to be, like, our big break or something like that. And I don't think that's even a thing. Like, I think a big break is just a series of, like, tiny little breaks over, like, a long, long bit of time. So I think it's just a matter of valuing your shit first and then taking care of everybody else and that's I think why I'm okay with it I also kind of like that people think I'm kind of a nice guy but also kind of an asshole I kind of like <laughs> I, I kind of like that so people expect that there's probably going to be a no so I don't know it's it's branding you
1: know it's so funny because you say that and for a while like I feel like you were writing a lot about haters and I was like, yeah. who, hate, "Who hates you?" And maybe it's just because I'm such a fan that I can't imagine it. And I'm going to share people...
2: my inbox with you from yesterday. Holy shit! Wait, <laughs> what did you write? yesterday? what did you write? I yesterday? didn't even write that anything guy... yesterday.
1: <laughs> that was just... just your hater day. Like, those yeah. people are on a good schedule.
2: Work <laughs> they're schedule all on. Too. They're all on the hate Paul mailing list, and I think they got like a campaign that did that converted really well. Wait, so and I'm they confused. all. Clicked... <laughs>
1: Are they customers that, like, are emailing you and they're mad about something? Or, like, it's just, like, people?
2: Yeah, it's people that would never support. It's not, they're not my rat people. They're not people that would ever buy anything of mine anyways. Because if somebody buys something and doesn't like it, they're just getting a refund. I don't care. Like, that's how I do business. But these are people who I'm not going to make happy because I haven't given them anything. They're just people that hate me because I swear or hate me because I have opinions or hate me because I hate gender roles or I think that women should have equality in the work that we do—it's just like stupid things. Like these are people who I would want to punch in the face in real life, anyways, if I believed in <laughs> violence. So, but they just feel like they're just going to take up some space in my inbox or okay. On Twitter. So
1: you—you you talked about rat people, can yeah. and I know what that is, and we know yeah. what that is. But can you explain it for our listeners who do not know what rat people are?
2: Sure. So rat people so silly. Like I wrote this article. It's so, the, the things you think are going to be like the smallest things end up becoming the biggest things or the things you think are the scariest to hit publish on end up doing well. So I wrote an article last year about my rats because I have pet rats. I love my pet rats. I think rats are awesome. Most people hate rats. Most people think rats are vermin or ugly or gross or whatever. So I'm like, this is, this like relates to audience building because it's like you care about the people that care about you. You care, you you want to provide value to the people that feel like you give them value and nobody else matters. So I call my audience my rat people because they're the people who I don't even care if they buy anything from me. Like my rat people aren't just my customers. My rat people are just people that pay attention to what I have to say and they may not agree with everything I say, but they're kind of along to follow whatever whatever I'm putting out and they may agree, they may disagree, but it's respectful. And yeah, and then everybody else doesn't matter. So everybody else that isn't my rat, my rat people, I'm like Mr. Branding. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So yeah. So I, everybody that isn't those people don't matter. And so if somebody hates my stuff or hates me as a person or hates the fact that I am the expressive person that I am, doesn't like, they're never like the people that don't like your stuff, aren't going to buy anything from you. Like they weren't on the fence thinking like, Oh, maybe I'm going to buy this. Or if they do buy it, it's going to be wrong. Then they're going to email you and want a refund. And then you have to pay the chargeback fees. it just sucks. So, yeah. That, yeah. That's, my rat, that's my rat people.
1: I found, um, I found my hater page on the internet. And it was all... I didn't read it. I remember I, this. I made my husband read it. <laughs> and he was like, Kathleen, they all hated you when... Like, they were all fans. And then they started hating you when when you dreaded your hair or when you started talking about more woo woo stuff or when you started a podcast and I don't know, I think it does come with just having opinions and people get riled up about it because I think that whenever you assert yourself and you, you have an opinion, even though we've all, I think we've all changed our minds even as we go. And, um, but I think that people just get challenged by people who express their opinions with confidence. Um, yeah. Yeah but I still think it's interesting that like they're actually hitting send and it's getting to your inbox.
2: Yeah, I retweeted somebody yesterday that had some mean <laughs> things to say about me, which I thought was funny.
1: <laughs> That's a good way to like shine a light on the hate and just make a make a joke out of it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: just my wife is always like I can't believe you engage with these people and 90% of the time I don't, but then sometimes I do and it's like if I was a bigger person I would not engage. But then sometimes it's just like, ah, I, just, I just have something to say back. it's worth
0: the entertainment value to rile yeah. someone up a little bit. If they're going to exactly. be that way, I'm going to play with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay, let's take a minute to chat about our sponsor, FreshBooks. We've been getting asked on our Facebook group to do an entire episode on tax season and keeping up with your finance. And I keep telling people, all you need is FreshBooks and maybe a good accountant, but really start with FreshBooks. Keeping track of your income and expenses as you go, that alone is worth the 10 bucks a month it costs to use FreshBooks. But then there are so many other amazing features, like accepting payment, keeping track of your time, sending out estimates. Plus, at the end of the year, or any time really, you can generate reports that will give you a clear picture of what's happening with your business. You guys, I use FreshBooks, and it is worth every penny. Stay on top of your business all year long with a clear picture of its financial health with FreshBooks. Try FreshBooks for free today. Go to freshbooks.com/beingboss and enter "being boss" in the "How did you hear about us?" section. All right, back to Paul. Paul, I'm curious, and I, I love that you're such a feminist. And anyway, I'm curious, uh, what does your wife do? What's she all about?
2: Medical herbalism.
1: Oh, cool!
0: Wonderful.
2: Yeah, so she's a Western herbal medicine lady.
0: I love it. That's, Kathleen yeah. and I recently launched a project with a with a uh, clinical herbalist, and nice. we learned lots yeah. of fun stuff. Yeah, Those people it was, are smart. It was
1: a dream client. Um, you know, and it's funny because on my original agenda, like I just, I couldn't narrow it down, all the things that I wanted to talk to you about and ask you about. And it's funny because sometimes Emily and I are on this podcast and I'm like, would two dudes be talking about this? Would two dudes be concerned about this? So I just listen to Invisible Office Hours. Yeah. I'm like, let me see. Like, yes,
0: they are talking about and this. And I think
1: this that, and so then I couldn't decide, <laughs> is this a feminist issue? Is this like a man woman issue or is it a creative entrepreneur? Like creative industry issue that people are afraid to talk about money so that's like one specifically is people being afraid to talk about money and sometimes I don't know if it's just women or if it's creatives in general do you have any I don't know I guess just like overall insights on that
2: yeah I think the whole creative thing it's like we all get into art and creativity because it's kind of like I don't want to like wear a suit and be or like one of those like business skirts and like even though I look good in one not to lie, <laughs> but it, we kind of shy away from the business stuff. And then we, then a lot of artists start to equate business stuff with like evil or bad, or like a lot of artists that I know are like, oh, marketing. I don't want to do marketing. And it's just like, okay, well, <laughs> good, good luck. <laughs> right. but, so I think there's a real disconnect and divide with like talking about that more concrete stuff with business, because I think that's part of it. Like the reason I like being a creative person is because I get to control the business side of things. I like marketing because I can market stuff the way that I actually want to market it. I don't have to follow some like company rule book or playbook or something like that. I can make it work for me. And I think a lot of creatives and artists feel like if they're going to market themselves or try to sell themselves or their work, they have to do it a certain way. So it's like, I don't want to do that. And you don't have to like a lot of times I do stuff just because it's like, okay, this is the exact opposite of what people say you're supposed to do. And I just want to see if this will work or not doing something totally opposite. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it falls flat on its face, but sometimes it works. And I think a lot of times it's just a matter of finding your own path to do what you want to do in a way that you feel comfortable doing it. So I don't know. Yeah, like a lot of bringing it back to the money thing. Like I have no problems talking about that. I like talking about it because I think it's something that needs to be talked about. Because I think there's, I think the people that like to talk about it are the wrong people that should be talking about it because they're talking about like, oh, you can make like a million dollars sitting on the beach with your laptop and all of that. And those are the type of people talking about money. So we all kind of get a bad taste in our mouths. But then when people like us start to talk about it, I think it's more, we're more, Like, no bullshit with the way that we approach our business and money and all of that. So I think we need to be talking about it. So, yeah. yeah,
1: I think that we have very similar philosophies whenever it comes to just doing the work. Like, I hear you preaching it in all of your content that it's not about having that six-figure business in two weeks. It's about just putting your head down and doing the work. And what you were saying earlier about little steps leading to the right path it's kind of like going back to the path metaphor like you're not to, to be taking a lot of steps to like find yourself in the weird dark forest being attacked by wolverines um like you could probably have diverted far before that ever happens if you're yeah. taking small enough steps right yeah
2: it's just like a sunk cost bias thing where we all feel like the more that we invest into something the more we have to try to make it work because we've already invested all of this into that And I think we have to step back from our egos a bit and say like, okay, if something isn't working, maybe we should try something else. And I don't know. I think that's the only reason why some of my things do okay is because I'm okay to say like this failed hard. Now let's try something totally opposite and see if that works. And I think a lot of times it's not, things don't always work out the first time. Sometimes they work out like the eighth or the 800th time. And you have to kind of get out of that mindset where it's like, well, I've already put all of this time and effort into something. I got to make it work. It's like, well, it it may not.
1: So here's a question. Is that, and maybe it's a little bit of both, but will you ever, like, so whenever I think about a failure, usually it's attached to the launch, right? And so I launch something and maybe it fails. I don't have to redo the content. Maybe I just need a package and launch it in a new way. And the content's the hard part, right? So It's not a total failure, right? And have no. you experienced that where you just like kind of repackage your content and launch it in a different way?
2: I'm experiencing that
1: right now. So <laughs> I launched
2: a course last year on writing. I thought I was like, this is the best book writing course ever. It sold like maybe 10, like maybe 10 people bought it. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. And I just had another course, which has sold like seven or 800 seats in it. And I was like, okay, what the hell? Like, does this course suck? And then looking at it again, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. And then we repackaged it and relaunched it on through a different venue. And now in the last two days, I think it sold almost 650 seats in it. Yay. And this is like seven months later. So, wow. and, and people love it. But nobody was buying it at the beginning, so they didn't know that they could buy they were gonna buy it and love it because it just wasn't like aligned the right way. So it's just I changed nothing in the course. Like the course is a hundred percent exactly the same as it was in October or November when I first launched it.
1: Do you mind sharing specifics about like the first launch versus the second launch? Like what specifically was different about how you did that?
2: Price. It oh. was we launched it and we launched it to one of my mailing lists that they signed up for this list because they wanted basically a free version of the course. And then six months later, I built a paid version of the course. So they signed up for free content, not expecting there to be a pitch. And then they forgot about it. And then I launched a paid course and then they're like, of course, nobody's going to buy it. It's like, I'm already not interested in this. And then we relaunched it and we packaged it with Uh, a deal website who has a lot more subscribers and the mindset of people being on the deal websites mailing list is they're going to be pitched products every week so they know there's a pitch coming and if it works for them they're going to buy it if it doesn't work for them they're just not going to buy it but they expect to have to spend money on things that they want whereas previously it was a list that they thought they were just getting a free course and that was it and then they forget about it, and then I come back at them six months later, and I know all this doesn't work. And somehow I'm like, okay, maybe I can figure out a way to make this work.
1: Okay, but this deal website—we're just getting into this because, like, yes. I'm ex- I'm about to package and launch something too, and I'm about to do the freebie. And I'm I'm what you're saying is like, well, Shoot. backtrack. Shoot. I will now undo I'm, all of that undoing, development. Un- yeah. <laughs> Emily, stop the presses. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. No Good more Good thing edits. it's the internet. We don't have to stop the presses. <laughs> but um, uh, so anyway, about this website. So you're pitching this now to people who are not your rap people, right? Like they're not your audience. They're someone else's Some audience. Some of them are. Correct?
2: Yeah. They're, okay. So they're my rap people. They just don't know it yet. Or the people that bought it now are, they're now my rat people. So then
1: I want to ask you about, I guess, like I was listening to your launching podcast and I was like, what? I screen captured it. I texted it to Emily and I was like, listen to this right now because I feel like you're talking about things. I've just been going direct to my rat people that I've cultivated and built very slowly or what feels like I'm not the six figure in two weeks person. Um, I've been just selling to them directly for so long. And then I hear you on this launching podcast talking about syndicated content and, and, uh, writing stuff and putting it on medium.com and half the stuff. I don't even know what it is. So like, how do you find those places and what has your experience been like there? Like, basically, I want you to tell me how to do it.
2: <laughs> so the reason why it didn't work, and I'll backtrack a bit, the reason why the free to the paid didn't work is because there was no expectation of the paid. So my current course, the creative class, there is a free email course that you can sign up for, but it even says on the course, on the eighth day, I'm going to pitch you my paid course. That converts at probably around 5 6%, which is awesome. So for... For every, like, five, six people that sign up, somebody, I don't know, so for every, yeah, my math is awful, for every 50 to 60 people that sign up, somebody buys it, but it's like a $300 course, so that to me is good, and I know I can drive 50, 60 people to the mailing list every, like, half day or day, so it does work, you just have to do it in a way that it's expected and where it makes sense. You can't just send them a free thing, wait 6 months, don't email them in those 6 months and then pitch them something and come back and they've already forgotten who you are. So that's why that one didn't work. So the syndication and the reaching beyond your network is because I know how to sell like you can only re- you reach a limit selling just to your audience and even though those are the people that I try to make happy first, I know I still need to go outside of that sometimes to get people to to like grow my rat people even though I don't really care like I don't want to grow them to like millions and millions of people I, that would just be scary I wouldn't want to do that
0: Think but, of all the hate mail you'd get then
2: Oh my goodness
0: <laughs> I need to
2: start like I need to somehow get those people to to put like something in the subject line that I can just filter it to another folder <laughs> right. That would just be really helpful if you're going to email me something mean just do it with like hashtag hater in the subject line and then i can just filter that in my gmail and oh, then so, it's so i i
0: have a folder already like on my apple mail and it's called grumpy bitches who need hugs too <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you it's, have to manually put them in there. i do i'm I saying do. i want to automate this yeah i want to <laughs> automate this
0: Oh, that's good. And then you can just read it when you're a little too happy.
2: Exactly. But Paul, you need to be taken down a peg right now, son.
1: Yeah. Done. Are you feeling good about yourself today? Read this. <laughs> Not
2: anymore.
1: Perfect. So, Perfect.
2: Yeah. So medium, uh, let, let's keep things on topic, ladies. Oh, I know.
1: Okay. So were you already... <laughs> no, I'm ads? joking. I
2: don't want to. No, no, I do.
1: I But I want to go... I, yes. Anyway, I want to go all over the place. But um, right. these sites—were you already engaging with these sites? Like, were you already a member of this deal site because you like buying deals? Like, um, like your will writing? Like, did you find it through? Is that the same site that you're now selling your?
2: No, my realtor totally upsold me on the 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 deal. For my will. So the, the backstory, people haven't listened to that on my podcast, yeah, which I expect Paul's everybody already has.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but so basically when I bought the current house that we have, um, our realtor said, like, if you guys want a will, the lawyer that we use also has a sale right now on wills. And it's like only valid for like a month. There's like urgency. Like, Lisa, let's take advantage of this. So, yeah, we got our, we got our will for like basically Groupon pricing without using Groupon. But the first part of that question, the actual important part of that, because that's not that important. The actual important part of the question was, uh, so I try to connect with people who have similar audiences and who talk, uh, who kind of align with the things that I talk about. They may talk about different things, but the people that they speak to, their audience has similar values or similar pains and motivations as mine. So I'm always trying to make connections with these people, like hop on quick calls. So I got to know Noah, the guy who runs the deal website uh, a couple of years ago. And he had, he actually emailed me to ask me a question, which I happily obliged because I knew that his audience and my audience kind of like overlapped in some ways. And I feel like People that work for themselves kind of think that they are part of this like silo or this like fortress of solitude where it's just them. And I find that the more and even though I'm introverted and even though I'm not really a big fan of people all the time, I feel like it's still a good idea to network and a reach out and like on my mailing list even like I talk about when people that I know and like launch things I'll I'll mention it and I don't do that very often but I do and people do the same for me so when I launch something it's not just me talking about it it's maybe me and 20 other people and then another 20 people later and then another 20 people later talking about it so it can kind of like ripple outwards because people especially when they're buying products and they're, they're probably not going to buy something the first time they hear about it unless they're like been on your mailing list for years and like chomping at the bit for something new from you so it takes like a bunch of mentions and for them to see it like oh i see this tweeted by this person on twitter and this person's talking about it on their facebook feed and somebody just hashtag whatever it was on instagram it's like maybe I do need this thing. Like everybody's talking about it. It may only be like 20 people talking about it, but if you run in similar circles with these people, then it kind of ripples out and it kind of builds that social proof because people need to trust something before they buy it. So it builds that trust factor where it's like, ah, I totally need this now when they got the email from you on launch day and they're like, yeah, that seems interesting. And then they forget about it, but then they get reminded about it by other people. And then it's like it really, really reinforces that um that building trust and that that desire if it's something that fits with what they need.
1: All right, cool. So like the website that you um relaunched this product onto, it wasn't like the equivalent of the people who throw the newspaper in your lawn that's just full of ads. Or it's no, not like the equivalent is... of like woot.com or <clears throat> that sort of no, thing, like no, it was this a is more specific super, curated. Yeah, this is
2: super targeted, very, very curated. Like, yeah, it's hard to get a deal on this site because they focus everything they have at that, at like one deal at a time, one deal every couple weeks. There's sometimes weeks where there aren't deals, it's just free stuff. So they're really building that value to their own list. So then when they do launch a deal... It's something that people a want because they do a lot of research, which I'm also a big advocate of. But it's also something where it's like, oh, well, they've been getting value, so they can reciprocate by spending money on whatever it is that that product is. So they're 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 very they're very smart.
0: So I love how I I love how like basically packaging that up. And this is something that I feel like like our listeners like really need to hone in on is this idea of like constantly growing your outreach and your engagement because otherwise you're just going to like sell out your list and the people that you have attracted. Cause that's something whenever I'm talking to my clients all the time, it's like do an email list. Like it's one of the most important things that you can do as an online business is actively consistently growing an email list because you can sell out an email list. And once you sell out your list you have no one else who's going to buy your stuff, and l- until you are okay, Emily, can you clarify growing? what you mean
1: by sell out your list? Because I'm
0: thinking like sell out, but like you're no, saying, like, like you've
1: <laughs> tapped that resource. Yes, exactly. So okay.
0: everyone who's going to buy on your list at yeah. in, at any given moment has bought, and so if you continue launching new things or releasing new products or or just trying to book more clients, um, then if you're not consistently growing that sort of like bucket of rat people for yourself, then you're done. <laughs> Unless you go and hit
1: up some other people's rat people and your future rat people. So I love that too. And I feel like that's kind of what, you know, even Emily and I have done by partnering up and um, we're just combining yeah. forces and combining yeah. forces all over the place Okay. So speaking of email lists, and we don't have a whole lot more time. I don't want to take up too much of your Skype day, but um, <laughs> like you wrote a lot of, I mean, you write, you have an amazing list. I can't even like guess how big it is, but, and I think that we all know the typical tricks and tips for growing your list, which is like the be consistent, be valuable, offer something for free. And you even cover these things in your book on, Um, how to be awesome online. But I'm wondering if you have any sort of like rocket fuel for growing your list in a meaningful way, um, or like what maybe you've even learned since writing that book about growing your list.
2: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing and super, super technical, but it's listening. And what I mean by that is, It's really easy to just kind of like get in a groove of like, okay, this is the type of articles that I'm writing. This is kind of a free... I don't even have a freebie for my list. It's like the freebie or the incentive is getting my articles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I've tried freebies and I see when I look at the value of that customer monetarily, it's very low if they sign up for a freebie. But also if I look at the engagement of the signups for that, it's super low as well. So people that sign up for a freebie tend to get the freebie and then not really open stuff or subscribe an email or two later. So it's like, eh, I don't even care. It's just like, if you want my articles, sign up for the list. If you don't, then don't sign up for the list. But So coming back to the listening thing, what I've done almost every year, well, until now, I'm doing something different next week, but... Up until now, I've done kind of once a year is kind of do calls with people on my mailing list and not all of them, but like the last time I think I talked to 36 people on my list on Skype for like 15, 10, 15 minutes. And I just offer, it was just like, I'll do like 15 minutes of consulting for you for free. I usually charge like 400 bucks for consulting, but like, I'm going to do these short calls for free. I just want to get to know the people on my list. That is so helpful. There's so much information. Like, one, I wrote a book from doing that, which was my best-selling book by, like, a, like an extra zero on the end of it. And two, it's, there's so much good information. Like, people are always thinking, like, oh, my God, what am I going to write for my mailing list? And it's like, if you talk to the people on your mailing list, you're going to have more story ideas than you can possibly think of. But also, you're going to be writing about things that people actually give a shit about instead of things that you think people <laughs> give a shit about, which is, there's a huge difference there, even though it's only like a couple words difference. <laughs> so I think actually, like, getting to know your mailing list subscribers, and I know, like, Chris Gillibo up to his 10,000th um, su- person signing up for his mailing list, would email them all um, individually. That's good, mar- that's good marketing, one, but that's also good to get to know them for a lot of people's mailing list and mine included. I say like, look, this is a two-way street. This is you're not like signing up for the Macy's newsletter when you sign up for Sunday Dispatch. <laughs> right. it's, it's like I say like, introduce yourself to me and I get people who tell me who they are and what they're working on. And that's like I save all those. No, and that's like I'm, that's like probably above my like hater folder. <laughs> so, like, if it's, like, if any time I'm, like, I don't even know what to write about, it's, like, I can start reading those emails, I'll probably read one or two, and then I'll have at least an idea. And that's, and then if I start to read all of them, I can start to look for trends. It's just really, like, simple data analysis, where if you look at the the data across, like, a hundred emails, if you start to see, like, maybe five or six people are doing one thing, or five or six people are struggling with something, or 20 people are interested in something that's huge that's like a lot of stuff you don't need to hire like a market research company to do this for you you can just like ask people what do you do what are you working on kind of thing and that does a whole lot i think next week i'm sending out an actual reader survey which is, has more jokes than actual like data <laughs> that <need> to collect <laughs> but like it's important to listen to your audience and kind of get kind of take a pulse of them as often as possible without like I guess, annoying them with it, but like kind of getting to know what they're working on and what they're doing and what they're, what they're interested in more importantly.
1: Yeah. Kudos our to that. Face, That's important. Our Facebook group has been amazing for that with even crafting our content for our podcasts and yeah. we use we a lot crowd-sourced of We crowdsource that.
0: content. But That's I think <laughs> all it is. I think yeah.
1: this is a good point too, is that even whenever you make it big, uh, you're still just a person and Um, even Paul, you and I like interacting. I think I just emailed you back one day and I was like, Hey, I like what you're putting out. I kept it like really short and brief because I know that you probably get a ton of emails that are really long, (laughs) but you know, keeping it short and brief and just saying, Hey, I like what you're putting out there. And I've met so many really amazing people just saying that. So same. I think a reminder just to our listeners is that we're still all just people and simple interactions can go a really long way.
2: Yeah, and they make a difference. Like sometimes my day is made by like a two-line email from somebody that's yes. just like, "Oh, I listened to this one episode and it did this for me." I'm just like, it's Awesome. That's so awesome. You go in the nice folder. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, that one's much more full. The things totally I need to is. read whenever I'm yeah. feeling
1: bad about myself.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. And then I read too many, then I have to read a couple from the bad one. And then it all, just to level it a, all up. It's out. a balance. It's a yep. balance. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Paul, tell us what you're working on right now and maybe even just like what's been on your mind that you want to explore more or write more about. Um, like, what's next?
2: So I don't actually have, like, as far as, like, products or things I'm working on, I'm not working on anything right now. I'm doing a lot of client work, and I'm doing a lot of stuff for the course that I have, because I feel like that course is doing really well. There's a lot of people interested in it and engaged in it now that they pay for it. It's like, I just want to keep making this the most valuable thing there is. So I'm kind of just, like, building up the creative class and doing writing and... Um, working on client stuff. I kind of like to take the summer off too, so I don't really want to work that much this summer again. Nice. I like to do what that. What are you
1: going to do whenever you're not working this summer? Like what are you Gar- into?
2: Garden stuff.
1: <laughs> like vegetables or Yeah,
2: yeah, growing, growing stuff, hiking. I don't know. I just like reading as well. Just normal Pretty normal, normal kind of stuff. stuff. Maybe I'll start watching that um, whatever show it was. Game <laughs> of Thrones. Said, if it's I, on it's pretty
1: intense. It like, is. You have to prepare yourself. If you're a non-violent person, I wouldn't watch it because it's incredibly All violent. Right. So I'll
2: put person. a himsa aside and then just kind of like tuck into that.
1: Yeah. Let well, me. I'll think of. I'll think of a good show for you to watch and be like, okay, this is the show.
2: Is it like Battlestar Galactica where you watch one episode and then you're like, "Oh my god, I have to keep watching," and then okay. it's like eight days later? Portlandia Galactica did a skit on it.
1: Yes, Portlandia did do a skit on it. Is um, amazing. <laughs> that I want to be a back though. when I grow up.
2: <laughs> me too. <laughs> that was, like when I watched that skit, I was like, "This is wait, I don't, I can't find this funny because it's so close to what actually happened it's to me." Too
1: true. It's too true. Um, anyway, I'll think of a good show and I'll send you an email and tell you to, that that's a lot of pressure. Okay. You know what a show I love this for all of our listeners. If you're an Amazon prime member and this is not sponsored, maybe we can get Amazon prime to sponsor this (laughs) podcast, but the show transparent, I Uh -uh. binged on that. It's the dad from, um, arrested development and it's no. so okay oh my gosh you guys so oh, anyway it's Kathleen, about him I think him. you have too
0: much time on your hands no listen <laughs> I know right
1: it's about him um, transitioning from a man to a woman later in life so he's in his probably 60s and then it's really about his three kids and anyway I really like the writing on it it's a good show
0: Thanks. good to know <laughs> that's, that's Kathleen's like television recommendation for the week <laughs>
1: Oh man, Paul! Thanks so much for joining us. It's been really fun chatting with you. This yeah, has this been was,
2: fantastic. This was a lot of fun.
0: Good. Yeah, we'll include all the
1: ways that our listeners can find you and taking the creative class and all that. We'll include all of that in our show notes at lovebeingboss.com.
0: Yeah, is is the creative class still open for registration, or is it like a was? Yeah, it doesn't close.
2: close. Oh, perfect. No, there's no close date. It's just always there.
0: Good. Yes, we'll definitely make sure that we share that so everyone can check it out. I was looking at it this morning and I was wanting to sign up and you'll have to let us know like what, track those analytics. Let us
1: know what your conversion rates are. Yeah. Do you need to send us a special link? Just let us know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I already know.
1: (laughs) I know. I feel like you have like internet
0: superpowers. Like you're you're able to track everything. Oh, perfect. No, this has been, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Now. um, Cool.
2: Yeah. It's my pleasure.
0: It's been great. All right. You mean do Um, outro? You do outro? Who's doing outro? I
1: I can do the outro. Do it. All right. Hang with us for two seconds, Paul, and then we'll officially say goodbye. All right. Thank you for listening to Being Boss from Emily Thompson and Kathleen Shannon. Find show notes for this episode at lovebeingboss.com. Listen to past episodes and subscribe to our new episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, please show us some love by reviewing Being Boss on iTunes and sharing it with a friend, it really does make a difference. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week. That and all of our Facebook—we have a Facebook group. It has over a thousand people in it now. They're like freaking out about you. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: Like they're like, Paul Jarvis is my spirit animal. Someone, literally someone said, said that. that.
2: <laughs> they just don't. That's my mom. Thanks mom I appreciate that